This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, thank you. Good morning. That is uh, Pastor Francis Chan. I encourage you to read his books. Incredible. But just some of that really moves me because if we're not careful, we end up living in this little, this little glass ball. And like he said, there's nowhere in the scriptures that it tells us to do that. So we're going to learn a little bit about that today. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, once you get one with me, go to the book of Luke chapter 6. And just to inform you on some things that are going to come. Um, again, next week we'll be on servanthood. On Sunday, May 8th, that's Mother's Day. And so you're going to get a Mother's Day speaking, not me. And so that'll bless you. And then on um, Sunday, May 15th, we're going to start a new series. Just stuff that's really been stirring around within me. A lot of it will be on end times. Time is ticking away. And so uh, some thoughts that me and Shelly have had just in our conversations, in our meals that we've been studying some of the end time stuff, and I really believe that the Lord is saying, you need to speak that to the church so they understand. So those are the upcoming events on the next few weeks. We welcome you, but today, we begin in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher. Now, we've got to first define what a disciple is. And a disciple is a student, he's apprentice, but literally... He is a follower. So I want you to to gather that thought right now that a disciple is a follower. Okay? So we keep reading. And he's not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly or fully trained will be like his teacher. And so to be a follower, I got to follow Jesus. And it becomes very uh, interesting or easy within the church of America right now that we confess Jesus as Lord, but that's it. We don't live like him, we don't be like him, we don't serve like him. But yet, this is what it said that we would, should be uh, doing as, as disciples of Christ. Now, go with me to the book of Matthew, and I want to give you another couple thoughts of Jesus here. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll be in Matthew for several more passages here this morning. But you'll begin to see Jesus' thoughts, not only for the disciples that were around him then, but for us right now. Verse 18 of Matthew 4. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, this wasn't the first encounter that Jesus and Peter and Andrew had had together. They had been around each other before, and it's referenced in John 1. So we keep reading here. Verse 19. Then Jesus said to them, follow me. Now remember the definition of disciple was a follower. And so Jesus right here, he says, follow me. So we think about this and just what he's saying there. What about a follower who doesn't follow? Or we become a Christian just in name. But literally, we are to be Christ-like. We're to be just like him. So he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so Jesus' goal was, he said, you know what? I'm going to take these disciples, and I'm going to make them disciple-makers. 
And when we look at this, so many times we have the thought that, well, I'm a Christian in name, but that's it. But there's nowhere in this where Jesus says, just identify with me in in name, but you don't have to change, you don't have to serve, you don't have to do anything else. But a lot of times that's the way we live. And so Jesus right here, he's saying, listen, I want you to become soul winners. And every one of us in this room, we're all commissioned to fish for souls. I don't care who you are. That was part of the process. And and if we were here just to get born again and that's it, then why don't we give our hearts to Jesus and say, Jesus, take me on out of here. Just take me to heaven. No, that's not what he wanted us to do. He said, literally, you become my hands. You become my feet. You become my voice. And so Jesus sets the standard for each one of us. And I can't ignore the Great Commission. And what I mean by that, I can't be a spectator. I can't sit on the sideline and fulfill what he asked me to do. Get another one of his thoughts here. Turn with me to Matthew 20. Matthew 20. And as you're turning there, let let me set the stage for what's going on here. James and John's mother comes to Jesus and he said, Lord Jesus, when, when my boys get to heaven... Will you allow one to sit on your right hand and the other on your left? And it it really upset the other ten. They weren't happy about this. And Jesus replies to James and John's mother and says, You don't know what you ask. Now we pick up in verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, he lords it over them. In other words, they throw their weight around, is what one translation says. And those who are great exercise authority over them. The power literally goes to people's head. Now, what does Jesus say about that? Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, it's not about you throwing your weight around or acting like you got all this power. But whoever desires to become great... Among you, let him be your servant. Now, Jesus right here, he tells us that greatness is measured in the terms of service. And Jesus himself set the standard. And so when I focus in on the word great, the world concept of greatness is defined by a a high position. But not in the kingdom of God. Jesus said the one that's great in the kingdom of God. Has the heart of a servant. Verse 27. And whoever desires to be first. Whoever desires to be first among you. Let him be your slave. Let him give his life away. And so he's literally saying service means sacrifice. So think of the words he said, you want to be great, you want to be first, you got to be a servant. And it goes totally against the way the world talks about. And he ends here in verse 28 says, just as the son of man, the Lord Jesus, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And so it's not how well we rule in this life, but it's how well we serve according to Jesus. 
And when I read that passage right there, Jesus said, I I came to serve. If you note, he didn't say, I came to volunteer. Because there's huge difference between a volunteer and a servant. A volunteer is about action, just doing this and this and this and this and this. But a servant is about an attitude. When I look here about a volunteer, a volunteer is just about time. But a servant, it's about a need. A volunteer says it's just about convenience, but a servant says it's about commitment. In other words, I'm all in. And Jesus right here, he sets the tone for us. If he's Lord of my life, then I don't get to set my job description. He does. And he tells us, you want to be great? Then be a servant. You want to be first? Then be a servant. Now, how would that look for me and you? Well, look in Matthew 23, just a couple pages. And begin in verse 11. Now, now watch what he says here. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Put on a heart of a servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever exalts himself will be put down. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself will be lifted up. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he's he's not talking about us being prideful. He's not talking about us looking for public praise. He's not talking about us looking for places of prominence. prominence. It's, It's not about a title that signifies superiority. It's about the heart of a servant. Show that on the message translation. Now watch this in the message. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. And so when we look at this, The question is this here. You will serve what you worship. What do you worship? Now I saw a poll the other day within the church. And the question was, what's the number one priority in your life? What's the first? 22% of all born again Christians say their number one priority is their spouse. 17% said their children. 3% said their parents. 2% said their friends. And 19% said the number one priority is Father God. Now some of the words that Jesus used, he said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God. So we go back and he said, He who wants to be first or the greatest needs to become a servant. So what do you put first? What's first in your life? Is the Lord first? Does he get first place? Matthew 7, 16 says, You'll be known by your fruit. You'll be recognized by your fruit. So how do I know what my fruit is? Where's your number one focus at? What do you look to in life? 
How can you tell what's going on? Because this literally becomes character curriculum in the kingdom of God. God said, I'm first. I'm not second. I'm first. Seek first the kingdom. And so it goes back to all this that every one of us in there, in here have been challenged to become servants of God. How well am I doing? What's the fruit of my life? Look with me in the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. Now, most of the time when this passage I'm going to read, and I'll begin in verse number 6 of Galatians 6, usually it's used in a, in a giving content. But look at some of the words that he says here. This is the Apostle Paul, Galatians 6, 6. Let him who has taught the word share. Let him share in all good things to him who teaches. Do not be deceived. Do not be misled. God is not mocked. God will not be made a fool of. Whatever, say whatever. Whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. Now, when you look at this here in the whatever content, all day long, every one of us in this room, we're planting seed. Some type of seed is going on the ground all day long. And then in verse number 8, he says, For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. So if all day long, all I'm sowing into is this physical life, the things of this world, it's going to let me down. But the second part of that verse, he says, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So he's saying here, what are you sowing into the kingdom? What are you sowing that will reflect in eternity? Are you just living for this present time? Or do you sow anything for eternity? Verse 9. And let us, me and you, not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now watch verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity right now, every time we get the chance, let us do good to all. Let us work for all. Let us be a blessing to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, you know what he said right there? We ought to go overboard for each other in the household of God. As, as members of the body of Christ, we ought to say, and I want to be a servant. I want to assist people. I want every opportunity I get to bless them. Now, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and in this passage here, it will give me and you a, a great insight of what a servant in the kingdom of God looks like. Luke chapter 9, begin with me in verse 10. And the apostles, and the apostles, now the apostles was pretty prestigious, okay? These were the guys that hung out for Jesus for those three years. Many of them wrote many parts of the New Testament. And the apostles, so I want you to think who we're dealing with here. When they had returned 
They told Jesus all that they had done. Now literally think about this. They go out into the world and they're being Jesus' hands and feet. They're doing exactly what Jesus commissioned them to do. And he's commissioned me and you. And they're telling him, Lord, this is what we did. Then Jesus took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethesda. I think what was going on here is they were wore out. They were physically, emotionally, and spiritually just wore out. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to get you in a place where you can recoup a little. But when the multitudes, and can I tell you in numbers what the multitude was? This passage says there was 5,000 men. If you take spouses and children, that could have easily gone to 20,000, 25,000. So it wasn't a little bit. So when the multitudes knew it, they followed Jesus, and he looked at them and said, how inconvenient this is. No, look what he said. He received them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who had need of healing. And when you study Jesus' life, it was always about people. Always about people. Even when it inconvenienced him. Verse 12, when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and they said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provision, for we are in a deserted place. But Jesus said to them, but Jesus said to the apostles, you give them something to eat. Jesus said to them, you do something for them. And the apostles responded, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go buy food for all these people. And so the apostles here, they focused on what they didn't have and what they did have. Now here's a question for you today. Are you using what you got for the Lord? And too many people will say, well, I don't have anything to offer. No, you have something to offer. Every one of us in this room are gifted with something. When you look at the parable of the talents, you were given certain types of gifts, and not one of them in that parable said he didn't get nothing. And so every one of us in this room have something to give, have some type of talent or ability also. So what are you doing with what you got? Keep reading. Verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men. Then Jesus said to the disciples, then Jesus said to the apostles, make them sit down in groups of 50. Here's a great can't do in the church today. Well, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to that. So what are you saying? You're more of a general than a private? Because a a servant in the kingdom of God is just like a soldier. And a soldier is always on duty. And so right here, it would have been very easy for the apostles to say, I'm not called to usher. Because this is exactly what these guys are. They're ushers today. And Jesus said, you make them sit down. 
So many times we look in the body of Christ and we think, well, that's not significant enough for me. Anytime you do kingdom work, it's significant. I don't care if you're a little pinky. It's significant. And when you see about the body of Christ, every piece of the body matters. If you don't believe it matters, I encourage you to go home and get a roll of duct tape and tape your thumb up today and see how well you do without it, okay? And so when one part of the body doesn't function like it's supposed to, it affects everybody. But in this passage, Jesus looked at him and said, boys, you make him sit down. You become my usher. Verse 15. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the multitude. I want you to get a hold of this. He looked at his disciples, the apostles, and said, Now, boys, you go serve all the people. But Jesus, I'm not called to that. And then we get into the next line that many people use. Well, I'm too busy. I got too much on my plate. And it would have been very easy woo, for the apostles to say, that went right through. It had been very easy for the apostles to say, oh, we're about preaching. We're about laying hands on the sick. But if you note here, they never did that. And then we look in verse 17. So they, the, the multitude, ate and were filled And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Who were the them that took up the 12 basketfuls? They were the apostles. And so if you read into this story, these great men of God that are referred to as the apostles, they got the leftovers. They didn't eat before the multitude did. And guess what? They were good with it. And so you begin to see here, it was about serving, a capacity to serve. It wasn't about convenience, it was about commitment. It wasn't about keeping score, it was about a sacrifice. And they said, Lord, if this is what we got to do to help you, we'll do it. They didn't pull rank on him. But when we look at the Great Commission today within the church, and Jesus says, you're the disciples, you're the servants... Our idea of church anymore is we come to church and some people have the thought, you ought to just be glad I came to church. Well, I am glad you're here, but there's more to it than that. And then we come into this house, we sit, we listen, we get inspired because Pastor Stormy preaches so well. Thank you. It's calling those things that be not as though they are. And then we leave. And we become fat as Christians. We have all this stuff within us. The word of God. The love of God. So many of you have got great stories of your life. Of testimonies and miracles that have happened. But we become the Dead Sea. Where we take in, we take in, we take in. But we never give out. And that's why some of you are so grouchy and upset on the inside because it just stays on the inside of you. But what would begin to happen if we said, Lord Jesus, 
I'm not just a disciple of yours. I'm a disciple maker. And the things we know, we practice. And the things we practice, we pass on to others. Now let's just pretend, just for a little bit here, that we're all in heaven this morning. And Jesus comes out from behind the curtain and he looks and says, Listen, guys, we have so many children in the children's ministry. Could I get a couple of you to volunteer? And and every one of you in this room would be jumping and fighting and saying, Yes, Jesus, I'm in, I'm in. And then Jesus comes back and says, We've had to have so many services today here in heaven that I need a bunch of ushers and everybody would stand up and say, I'm in, I'm in, Lord Jesus. Can I tell you this this morning? He's asking right now. He's asking. Right now, this very minute. He's saying, who will be kingdom-minded right now while you're here on earth? Who will serve the little ones? Who will bless them? Who will usher? Who will greet? And so there's so many different people that serve here in our church on a, on a weekly basis. And most of you don't know this, but I scan all the time. I'm scanning just to see how many of you serve in the kingdom of God. And man, I, I, I know Jesus is applauding you. But I look how many serve in our children's ministries that don't even have children in in those classes anymore. Many of them don't even have children in their home, but they still serve. And if I didn't get you this week, I'll, I'll get a lot more of you next week. But one of the ladies who works in our G Force, Maria Richburg. I mean, Maria has a heart for those little guys. She doesn't have kids in there anymore. But yet she says, you know what? I I, want to sow into their life. I want to give something back to a child. And I would notice on Tuesday nights when I'd be up here for Tuesday night prayer, Maria and, and Yolanda Moreno would come in and they would lead a ladies mentoring group. And I knew they'd both worked hard all day, but they said, you know what? To mentor certain ladies in our group is more important. And there's many a Sunday morning in the second service, and I said this in the first, that if I drink too much water in between services, man, I got a jet right out those doors, and I go to the bathroom before I speak, and I go down those halls, and I look who's in there. And, and I see Sherry Russell at times holding little babies. Well, Sherry's boys are all older. But yet she says, I'll do it. And our children's minister, Jordan, last week told us how how a young 20-year-old led the praise and worship for the children's uh, church last week, Emily Janani. And you know what she did? She just did it. She didn't say, I'm too good to lead children into praise. I'll be there. And we go to the men of iron last week and men are tired and we come back and we host the desperation night last week. And man, I saw how many of our men were here and I said to one of our ushers, Ricky Bergseeker, and I don't know if Ricky's here today, but I said, thank you for serving. Thank you for coming back and ushering. And he said, pastor, I'll do anything for the family of God. He's kingdom minded. We do the big funeral 
a month ago for Felix's family. Me and Pastor Jimmy are leaving the gravesite, and the guy from the, the funeral home says, Pastor, can I talk to you? And I'm thinking, oh, crud, what did we forget to do? And he said, I want you to know, if I had your ushers at every funeral, my life would be so easy. He said, your ushers got damned. And you know what? I looked and I thought, those were men who took off work, some of them, to be here. To say, we'll be kingdom-minded. And then a couple Wednesday nights ago, I'm, I'm strolling out on the front porch of the youth room down there. And there's one of our guys, Ben Mason. He's out there cooking hot dogs. And Pastor Jimmy said to me, he said, I said to him, Ben, can you cook hot dogs? And he said, whatever you need, I'll do. That's being kingdom-minded. You know, I told this in the first service that years ago, we went to the orphanage down in Mexico and they made me the head hot dog cooker. I said, I can do that if you really want me to. And so we had 500 weenies to cook. Man, I was a weenie cooking machine. And we were rolling them out, rolling them out, throwing them in the buns and They'd say mustard or ketchup. I don't know in Spanish what that is, but the ones with me were assistant. And those little kids begin to bite into them, and we looked over there, and some of them were complaining, and they, were, they could hardly swallow. And he's like, just shut up, meet the thing. Those are good weenies. And the people of Mexico pulled a fast one. It wasn't just me. There were several others, but they didn't tell us. Each wiener was wrapped in individual plastic. <laughs> this is true. And, and so then, not only am I the head wiener now, I get to slit 500 packs with a little butcher knife, a little pocket knife, and pull those little wieners out. I smell like weenies, man. My, I didn't want around a weenie for the next year. I hated those things. But again, it's just times to say, you know what? If I got to be the head wiener today, then oh well, let me be it. And if you need a hat, we'll put a hat on you, whatever you do. But again, I'm, I'm just saying, I've got to become kingdom-minded. Now, Jesus gives us great insight still in, in Luke 9. Look with me starting in verse 57. And the subtitle above verse 57 in my Bible says, the cost of discipleship. It's going to cost you something. And there's three candidates in this passage here. And with each one, watch how Jesus responds. Verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. And so you've got this guy, he's enthusiastic. Lord, I'll serve you, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And Jesus looks at him and said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So you know what Jesus was saying there? It's going to cost you. Sometimes it's going to cost you comfort. You may not have a bed. You may not have air conditioning. You may not get a stay in the nicest or the best place. 
Motel 6. If you're lucky, Motel 1 and a half. And this is what he was saying. It's going to cost. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you. You know, years ago, the orphans, and I get back to the orphans because it'll knock the American out of you. I'm going to tell you right now. Years ago, when you'd go down there in the summer, they, did, they had zero air conditioning. And, you know, as Americans, you just sit around and sweat and you, you didn't need to complain because that's what they grew up in. That's all they know. So you just suck it up and tough it up. And, and, and I said this, that I would take a, a hoodie in the winter and it wasn't to look cool. I would sleep in that dude. I'd pull the hood up, man, I'd get in there, it'd be so cold. And Shelly said, please don't tell this story in the second service, but I'm going to. We were down there in January, and we had we'd been here all day on a Sunday morning, and we drove down there, and we got there, and I remember it was a little after nine, and I said, I gotta go to bed. I'm wasted. And I'd crawled in this bed, and I hadn't been asleep very long, and I felt something running across my, my chest. And so I knocked it off, and I thought, what in the world was that? So I got up and turned the lights on. It was a scorpion about that big. Well, I'm not going back. I'm out. I'm done. That's it. Get me back to America. No. And so there's Jesus is telling us here, sometimes it's going to cost you some things. But again, it's like Francis Chan. Quit living in a bubble. Quit living where we think, oh, I, I can't get around the world or I can't serve. I can't. We got to get out of that bubble. And Jesus says in verse 59, then he said to another one, number two, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and you preach the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus wasn't being disrespectful here. He was just telling us that the kingdom of God takes precedence. And when he said, let me first go do this, Jesus is telling me and you, it's not about making excuses. And it's not about procrastination. And people can say, well, I'm too busy or I got too much on my plate. And that may fly here in America. That may fly in the church. But understand this. The day will come when every one of us will stand before Jesus. And he'll say, how well you serve. And you look and say, I was too busy. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? I was too busy. I didn't have time for you, Lord. But I loved you. And remember, there's passages in Matthew 7 where Jesus said, depart from me. I don't even know you. I don't even know you. See, that stuff affects me. He goes on to say on the last one, another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my home. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And he wasn't saying, shun your family responsibilities. No, he was telling me and you, I got to get things in order here because a half-hearted servanthood's not good enough. Half-hearted discipleship's not good enough. Lukewarm isn't good enough. And ultimately, he's telling me and you that if I don't do the little things, I'll never reach full maximum of what he wants me to do. 
And so you begin to see the heart of Jesus here. I'm going to get real tough on you. If you had to give yourself a grade on how well you serve the kingdom of God or right here in the church, what type of grade do you give yourself? I'm going to cheat for you a little bit. If you don't do anything, that's an F. Ow, pastor. I'm telling you, I've already taken this test, okay? I didn't make straight A's. The Lord began to show me things in the area of my life. If I had to grade myself on how committed I am, what type of grade would I get? If I had to grade myself on how faithful I am, what type of grade would I get? See, it's all a test. We're all going to stand before Jesus one day. And when I talk about serving, we're saved to serve, but we're saved to serve for Jesus. And I think where we mess up many times is when we hear the word minister We think of a pastor or a teacher. That's not true. The word minister means servant, and the word servant means minister. So if you're a servant, you're a minister, and if you're a minister, you're a servant, because they're they're synonyms. They go together hand in hand. And you know what life is? Life is not about the duration. Life's about the donation. And it's not how long I live, but it's about how did I live? And I have to look at that. And do I make my today's count? And I will tell you, we need you. We need There's children in our children's ministry. They just need the touch of a mom. They just need the touch of a dad. I'll end with this story, maybe. Years ago, we were in need of a children's pastor. And one day, I had a guy call me and he said, I think I'm your next children's pastor. And when he said it, I kind of sat there. I I wasn't dumbfounded, but I thought, oh my goodness, he's been right here before my eyes. And that man was Pastor Keith, our old children's pastor. And you know why I knew he was right there? Because it was his passion. And he had been serving in the little kids' Every Sunday as it was. And I saw his heart. And so he served for a number of years with us. And a year and a half ago, he came to me and said, Pastor, I've taken it as far as I can. It's time for me to get out. I'm going to go into the business arena. On Thursday night of this last week, I get a call at home. And it's Keith. And he said, you know, me and Jamie, my wife, we've been doing these things, serving in this area. But he said, Pastor, it's not my heart. And I said, what's your heart? And he said, my heart is to go back to the kindergartners and love on those little boys and girls. He doesn't have any kids that area. But you know what he said? I'm willing to serve. I want to touch the hearts of children. And so again, don't think you don't have nothing to give. You got something to give. And some of you are saying, well, what if I make a mistake? You'll be okay. I will tell you this. It's going to stretch you. How's it going to stretch you? 30 plus years ago, I'm speaking at a little, 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 little bitty church in Tucumcari, New Mexico. If you're from Tucumcari, I don't mean to offend you, but I used to call it Tucumcari. 
So I'd stroll into the church up there, and there's not many people, and the lady says to me, she said, we got a problem today. And I said, what's that? And she said, we don't have anybody to lead praise and worship. And I said, it's okay. It's okay. And she said, so you can do it? This was my look. I was like, oh, no. Oh, dear Jesus. So what happened, Pastor? I went strolling in there as the praise and worship director. And I was real spiritual. I said, all of you, close your eyes and raise your hands. And we led them in praise and worship. And when I got home and I told Shelly what I did, she said, you've got to be kidding. And I said, did it stretch me? Absolutely. I can't sing a lick. Most of you guys don't know this, but I keep our praise and worship team on. I mean, they're always looking for me for directions because I clap so well. (laughs) That's a joke. I'm too white. (laughs) When they say clap like this, I have a hard time. So if you ever sit by me and I'm watching people clap, I'm trying to help. I need you brothers and sisters and get by me and help me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.